Talking Head, The Covid Diaries, written and performed by Tim Browse. I spent most of my Easter break in school, running what I can only describe as the world's most tedious holiday club, encouraging children to play nicely whilst going nowhere near each other and demanding they wash their hands whenever they made eye contact with another human being. When I wasn't being an aggressively paranoid Mary Poppins, I was taking telephone calls from disgruntled parents, all of whom asked me the same question. If the government's food voucher scheme had been such a success, why hadn't they been able to feed their families for the last three weeks? This was all my fault, apparently, and not the fault of the Prime Minister or his self-serving government, who, in my opinion, had no intention of supporting anyone who wasn't privately educated or who had business links with members of the Cabinet. Jemima said that this wasn't a very nice way to speak about a man who was, at this very moment, fighting for his life for the good of the nation. I pointed out that I didn't think part of Boris's coronavirus defence plan had been to languish in intensive care whilst everyone else did the work for him. Jemima said that at least he had managed to unite the country... I muttered something about how not shaking hands with every infected patient he came across might have been a better way to unite the country, but Jemima cut me off, asking me why I always felt the need to attack the people whom I felt were morally inferior to me. That reminds me, I said, what time are we Zooming with your family? Jemima glared at me and told me that she wished to do this week's Thursday NHS clap on her own. This was fine with me, I said, as this weekly ritual had started to take on a life of its own. What had started as a group of neighbours sticking their heads out the bedroom window and clapping for 30 seconds had morphed into some kind of passive-aggressive act of human devotion. It wasn't enough just to clap anymore. If you didn't strap a tambourine to your head and bash a few saucepans about for half an hour, people presumed that you hated nurses and were actively in favour of dismantling the NHS. Jemima had now taken to standing on the doorstep to conduct her clap. This was mainly so she could eyeball Joan from over the road the two of them now locked into an NHS-loving battle of wills. Jemima returned from the doorstep in an even worse mood than when she had left. She said that Joan had deliberately carried on clapping even when everyone else had stopped. I made the mistake of saying that it really didn't matter and that it was just a nice gesture to show thanks towards key workers. Jemima shook her head and said that I had to seriously up my game, followed by, and it's not for key workers, it's for the NHS and that she hoped I didn't think anyone was clapping for head teachers. Then she said that she needed an early night, as she had an NHS socially distant street party to organise for next week, and it was imperative that she got the jump on Joan. Steve Templeton rang me this morning to ask if I had any spare PPE. Hardly, I said, unless he was interested in a couple of paper hats and a hairnet that I'd found in the school kitchen the other day. Steve said that he'd heard that the local authority were trying to procure PPE for schools, but that they kept getting outbid on eBay. I asked Steve why he needed PPE. Was it for a member of staff with an underlying health condition, or was it for a particular child? Steve said that he was going to a fancy dress Zoom party next week, and he was hoping to use a face mask as part of his Hannibal Lecter costume. At that point, Sean came into my office, so I told Steve that, regrettably, I had to go. Sean said that it was time we got to grips with our safeguarding practices during lockdown. She said that we desperately needed to update our safeguarding policy if teachers were going to start live-streaming their lessons directly into children's homes. 
I said that I thought we had agreed no live streaming of lessons. Sean said we had, but as the government had just announced they were going to give away lots of free laptops for vulnerable families, we now had no excuse for not developing remote teaching strategies. I tried to argue that not having to update your safeguarding policy seemed like a perfectly good excuse for not developing remote teaching practices, but remembering what my leadership coach told me about keeping the inner child alive by swimming in the sea of new technologies, and seeing that Sean had clearly already made up her mind, I gave in. As it turned out, updating the safeguarding policy was remarkably easy. The basic rules for maintaining professional standards of child protection when teaching online seem to be don't teach in the nude, don't teach anyone who's in the nude, and don't at any point suggest that the lesson would be much better taught if everybody was in the nude. Aside from that, and making sure that you didn't accidentally start flicking through porno mags halfway through the lesson, there didn't seem much else to add. Sean said we should also ensure that a senior leader be present during any online interaction between a member of staff and a child. I nodded and said good idea, whilst quietly changing the wording to try to ensure that a senior leader may be present, for when this wasn't possible, or for when I really couldn't be bothered. Just then, Mrs Wrangle came in to say that little Frankie Wallace in reception was refusing to socially distance in class and the teacher wanted to know what I was going to do about it. I looked at Sean, who was now pretending to read an important email on her phone, muttered something about at least somebody takes safeguarding seriously, and got up to go down to reception. I opened the class door to find Frankie Wallace chasing Miss Pringle around the room, waving a rainbow flag and trying to kiss her. I asked Miss Pringle what on earth had got into him. As she dashed past me, she shouted something about all she had done was ask the children for ways that we could show our love for key workers. Right, I said, and did you say that you were a key worker? Yes, she panted as she began her third lap of the classroom before clambering up onto her desk and asking me if I'd brought down any PPE. I shook my head, to which Miss Pringle responded, then how are you going to protect me from him? I took the Mars bar I keep for emergencies out of my jacket pocket, opened it and waved it about in Frankie's general direction. Come on, Frankie, I said. This way. As we walked back to the school office, me keeping the bar of confectionery just out of Frankie's reach, I tried to explain to him that key workers, especially Miss Pringle, don't want to be kissed. I opened the door to the main office and tossed the Mars bar onto the floor. As Frankie settled himself down to eat it, I told Mrs Wrangle to ring his parents and request an early pick-up. Leaving Mrs Wrangle to make the phone call, I returned to my office, where Sean had just finished updating the safeguarding policy. Sean said that she would email all staff the updated policy, along with the new expectation that online lessons would start from next week. Sean then said we had to update our online safeguarding reporting procedures to include specific categories linked to lockdown. Like what, I said, dying of boredom due to an overexposure of unfunny memes? No, Sean said, like mental health concerns caused by isolation. Right, I said, can't we all just presume that being locked indoors with our loved ones for six weeks is going to drive us all a bit mad and have done with it? Sean gave me her best disappointed face, the one she usually says for just after I've given the farewell speech at the Year 6 Leavers service, before leaving my office muttering something about she thought I'd said something about taking safeguarding seriously. A few moments later, a Mrs Wrangle knocked on the door, saying that she had tried ringing Frankie's parents, but as soon as she said it was the school calling, they'd hung up, and they were now refusing to answer the phone. I opened my drawer to see if I had enough Mars bars to keep us going for the rest of the day, before saying, Bring him in here then, Mrs Wrangle. I'll take care of him. I attended a child protection meeting this morning for Molly and Peter Harris. I say meeting, it was of course a remotely held meeting via Zoom. The chair of the meeting, an ex-police officer called Anna, 
informed us that Mrs Harris, Polly and Peter's mother, wouldn't be joining the meeting due to having no internet access, plus her total disdain for the child protection process. Anna asked if Molly and Peter were attending school. At the moment I said no. The chair questioned this, saying that she thought all children who were assigned a social worker were to be given prioritised school placements. They are, I said, but I can't exactly force children to come to school if their parents don't want to send them. Anna asked if I'd spoken to Mrs Harris about her reasons for not bringing the children to school. I said that I had, and that Mrs Harris had, in response, asked whether I'd heard there was a global pandemic going on. Anna asked if I'd done an assessment on the home, to which I said I would have thought that was the social worker's job. The social worker began waving his arms about on the screen. We let him go on for about a minute before Anna told him that he was on mute. The social worker said that since lockdown he had been advised against doing any home visits and that maybe the school could do one. I resisted the urge to say that maybe he could do one and Anna asked the social worker if he had had any contact with the family since lockdown. He said no as mum was continuing to disengage with the child protection process. Anna asked him how many times he had tried to engage with Mrs Harris since lockdown. The social worker flicked through his notebook before replying, none, but apparently this was on purpose. As Mum was disengaging with the child protection process, he didn't want to antagonise Mum further by trying to engage with her. I tried to point out that this seemed like the case of the social worker disengaging with Mum rather than the other way around, but I was cut off by Anna, who said that it was vital for a professional to have sight of the family in the home and that she was writing this down as an action for the school. The social worker then asked if I'd given the family a laptop, as promised by the government. No, I said. When he asked why not, I said because the government hadn't got round to actually telling schools how they'd be funding all these laptops beyond shouting about it in the press. Although, I added, it would be pretty pointless giving them a laptop to access our online home learning programme as the family had no internet access. The social worker said that he might be able to help with that and would I mind checking for a broadband connection point when I pop round to the family home? Finally, we were asked to rate our level of concern about the children's safety by giving them a score between 0 and 10. Due to the fact that none of us could remember how we'd scored last time, making it impossible to say whether there'd been any progress or not, we all agreed that the children would stay on a child protection plan. Anna thanked us all for our commitment and hard work with this family. The social worker smiled and said that he was just doing his job. I smiled and said that I was just doing his job too. Later on, I received an email from the local authority to all schools informing us that we could pick up an allocated amount of PPE from the central office from tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. This was quickly followed up by an email from Steve Templeton asking if I could pick up his school supply for him as he had an early morning virtual brunch to attend and that if I could drop it off at his school reception that would be totes amazeballs. I thought about telling him to sod off but then figured that if it meant I'd get to arrive at work that little bit later it may just be worth it. I was at the local authority central office at 8 o'clock this morning. I say at, I was actually outside as the door was locked with a sign on it saying open at 10. Luckily, after about 15 minutes, somebody opened the door and let me in. I'm here for the PPE, I said. Don't ask me, love, she said. I'm just the cleaner. I sat down in a nearby chair and got out my phone. I checked my Twitter feed and saw that head teacher Ryan Bottom had just tweeted a picture of him and all his staff kitted out in full PPE gear. The tweet read, What a fantastic donation from our local care home. Thanks to all the parents who signed the petition. Hashtag community love. Hashtag kids of the future. Just as I was thinking how pleased I was not to be an old person within a ten mile radius of Mr Bottom's school, a harassed looking woman with a clipboard came up to me. Are you here for the PPE, she said. I stood up and said that I was. 
She told me to sit back down as they weren't quite ready for us yet. Apparently, a man called Brian had put all the PPE in a locked room but hadn't left anyone the key. They were trying to get hold of him but he wasn't answering his work phone. I asked if they had tried his personal phone but this was apparently against local authority work-life balance regulations. I sat back down and waited. Twenty minutes later, the woman came back shouting success. Turns out Brian had left the key on his desk. However, it being against local authority personal space regulations to touch another person's desk without their consent, nobody could actually pick up the key without Brian's permission. The woman with the clipboard said that Brian was due to be in shortly, so if I didn't mind, could I wait a little bit longer? By now, a small number of head teachers had started to gather in the foyer and were all starting to share their fascinating stories about how things were going back in their own schools, each head parroting the other. How all the parents were so impressed with how they were managing the situation, except for one parent, but, you know, we all have one of those parents in our community, don't we? And weren't the staff coping brilliantly during all this? Well, except for one member of the staff, but then again, what school doesn't have a teacher like that in their school? And that the real revelation had been how incredible the children had been. Well, except for the children in that class, but then again, we all have classes like that in our schools, don't we? And who can blame them, really, with parents like theirs and a teacher like that? Just as I was about to stand on my chair and shout that I was as mad as hell and I wasn't going to take this anymore, a sweaty-looking man, whom I took to be Brian, ran up to the woman waving a key. She gave him a disapproving look and took the key, taking care to scrub it down with an antiseptic wipe before unlocking the door. She then called us over one by one and handed us our allocated bag of PPE. The surprisingly small bag contained six pairs of rubber gloves, a face visor, half a pack of face masks and a few plastic pinnies. I asked if that was it, and she said that if I needed more PPE, I could always sign up to the local authority PPE replenishment scheme. I asked her how to do this, and she said schools would receive an email about the scheme once Brian had got around to inventing it. I began to walk away, and then, remembering I needed to collect Steve Templeton's PPE as well, I stopped and said that I was actually here on behalf of another school, so could I have one more bag? She frowned and said that nobody had told her. I said that I wasn't lying, and that she could ring Steve if she didn't believe me. She got out her phone and began dialing, turning her back to me as her call was answered. She said my name and then the name of my school, and then her voice dropped to a whisper as I heard her say, quite tall, with a look of weakness in his eyes, yes, I think that's him, before hanging up and handing me another bag. Later on, when I returned home, I found Jemima elbow-deep in rainbow-coloured fondant and attempting to ice 3,000 multicoloured cupcakes. There was glittery bunting draped all over the dining table and a large papier-mâché rainbow piñata hanging from the kitchen ceiling. Christ, Jemima, I said. The kitchen looks like it's been violently assaulted by a care bear. What are you doing? Not now, Jemima said. Just get over there and start pouring out the Skittles vodka jelly shots. If they're not set by tomorrow evening, Joan won't ever let me forget it. I dipped my finger into one of the brightly coloured jugs of liquid and tasted it. I wouldn't worry about that, I said. Give her one of these and she won't remember anything. How much vodka did you put in? Jemima sighed and carried on piping, and anyway, I said, how is everyone going to receive this bounty of technicolour goodness? I thought it was a socially distanced party. Well, Jemima said, you did say that you were picking up some PPE this morning, so I thought I cut her off. No, Jemima, we are not handing out my school's PPE to our neighbours so they can down vodka jelly shots and smash up a rainbow donkey, even if it is for the NHS. Jemima smiled and said that of course that's not what she was thinking. No, her plan was for me to dress up in PPE and act as butler, or as she put it, the PPE maitre d'. As she turned her attention to assembling her rainbow sushi, I closed my eyes, wondering if there was any chance I could survive this with my dignity intact.
I had an early meeting with Shan this morning to review any new safeguarding concerns that had been logged by staff since we introduced the new COVID safeguarding categories. To Shan's surprise, there had been 745 COVID safeguarding concerns reported since Monday. These mainly consisted of parents begging teachers to allow their children back into school as quickly as possible as they were all on the verge of killing each other. I said to Sean that I really didn't think that some of these should be categorised as serious mental health concerns, but Sean said I was minimising the risk lockdown was having on families. No, Sean, I said, I just know the difference between child abuse and normal family life. Sean then said that some of the concerns were around children disengaging with the home learning. Apparently, once the children realised they couldn't unmute themselves at will and that the teacher's Zoom quiz did not involve any questions about Tiger King, they all logged off. When I suggested that we just go back to emailing homework, Sean sighed and said that we should be harnessing new technologies because who knew how long all of this was going to last. It's going to last, Sean, I said, until the government decides that all schools need to reopen no matter what's going on. And judging by the fact that every newspaper has decided that schools are suddenly quite important, that decision will probably be made by tea time. After we'd finished and we had a smaller and far more serious list of children and families to check up on, I took my afternoon stroll around the classroom. I found Akram taking down all the NHS rainbows that were pinned up on the display boards. I ain't been naughty, sir, he said. It's for the NHS, innit? Sorry, Akram, I said. What do you mean it's for the NHS? Akram explained that the nation had now decided that the weekly clap for the NHS was getting out of hand and should now cease. It's patronising to key workers, in it, sir, said Akram. Is it, I asked? Oh, yeah, he shouted. And my mum says some people do it to big themselves up, and they don't give a stuff about nurses. In that right, sir? Well, Akram, I said, far be it for us to judge the motivation of others, but your mum may have a point. He smiled and said that his mum was well clever and asked if she could have one of my headteacher stickers. Maybe tomorrow, Akram, I said, but right now I need to go. There's a woman with a rainbow donkey that may need my help. When I arrived home, Jemima had already heard the news. I found her slumped at the kitchen table and slurping at vodka jelly shots like they were going out of fashion. Never mind, darling, I said. Look on the bright side. We've got enough sushi to keep us going until Christmas. Jemima nodded and said something about thank goodness the John Lewis van had got lost delivering the confetti cannon because if Joan had seen that she'd never have heard the end of it. I touched her arm and said that it was all for the love of the NHS though, wasn't it, Jemima? Not about getting one over on Joan. She looked up at me and asked if I thought she was a horrible person. I was just about to say, not at all, darling, when we heard the sound of one person clapping from outside. Jemima went to the window to take a look. It was Joan, who had not, it would seem, received the memo that the NHS clap had been confined to the nation's dustbin. Jemima squealed with delight and gave praise to the Lord above before she opened the front door, looked across at Joan and shook her head disapprovingly. In all our years together... I don't think I'd ever seen Jemima look so happy. This morning, Jemima was all smiles. She even kissed me on the cheek and asked if she could make my pat lunch. By the time I left for work, she was busy on the neighbourhood WhatsApp group, trying to organise a Zoom meeting to discuss Joan's membership. I popped a few extra rainbow cupcakes into my pat lunch and left her to it. When I arrived at work, there was an email waiting for me from Peter and Molly's social worker. He wanted to know if I had carried out the home visit as agreed during the recent child protection meeting, saying that it would be good if I could complete the home visit today so that he could reassure his manager that he was on top of the case. 
I replied that I had not yet carried out the home visit on account of me actually being in work every day and that I was happy to email his manager when it had been completed. Within one minute he had replied saying that there really was no need for me to report to his manager once I'd completed the home visit as he didn't want to burden me with any more work during this difficult time. I replied saying that maybe we could talk about this on the phone but he just replied saying that he couldn't talk right now as the Big Bang Theory was just about to start on Channel 4. I called through to Mrs Wrangle and then told her I was going out to do a home visit and where had she put our supply of PPE. Turns out Miss Pringle had taken all of our PPE so I was forced to improvise. I arrived at Molly and Peter's house wearing a pair of marigold gloves and a visor made out of an A4 poly pocket sellotaped to my forehead. Peter opened the door and upon seeing me he shouted out to his mum that the funny man from school was here. His mum appeared and said hello and asked me how the meeting from the other day went. Oh fine, I said. Then I turned to Peter and told him that he would be receiving a very special laptop soon so that he and Molly could do all of their schoolwork at home. He smiled and asked how much work would they have to do. Oh, loads, I said, but don't worry, because Mummy will be on hand to help, all day, every day, should either of you ever need any help. I looked back up at Mrs Harris, whose face had gone a little pale. Actually, she said, I had been thinking of sending the children back into school. Oh, I said, really? Yes, she said, if I do, will that mean they definitely won't get a laptop to bring home? I nodded my head and said I was afraid so. Mrs Harris turned away from me and shouted up the stairs, telling Molly to stop whatever she was doing and get her coat. Two minutes later, Molly, Peter and I were walking back to school, the two of them happily eating one of Jemima's rainbow cupcakes and arguing about who should get to wear my face visor. I rang the social worker from my mobile to say that I had done my home visit and that he could report to his manager that the two children were attending school and that Mrs Harris was now fully re-engaged with the child protection process. You have been listening to Talking Head, The Covid Diaries, written and performed by Tim Browse. All characters and events are entirely fictitious and are not based on any real people or events. Any similarities are entirely coincidental and should be taken up with Her Majesty's Government. For more Brained Comedy, visit our website, brainedcomedy.com, and subscribe to our podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify and all good podcatchers. <laughs>